Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff to spice up the bedroom is even better. Whether you're buying a gift for your sugar baby or just for yourself, you can get 50% off at adamandeve.com when you enter the code CANDY at checkout. And that's not all. Adam and Eve will include 10 tantalizing free gifts, a sexy item for him, a special gift for her, and a third item all partners can enjoy. Plus, you'll receive six free spicy movies. But the best part is the free shipping. You can get all of this at adamandeve.com using code CANDY at checkout. That's C-A-N-D-Y. So Shelby, what are you getting me? Candy Girl Podcast. Fuck me, Daddy. <laughs> hey, all you candy sluts and bubble butts. Welcome back to another episode of Candy Girl. I'm Shelby. And I'm Emily. And today we are joined by Riley Delacroix and Cameron Beaumont. And we are so excited. We've been waiting for this interview for a while. Do you both want to introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Cameron Beaumont been partnered to my lovely partner, Riley Delacroix, for a while. We've actually been doing sex work in three states now, New Mexico, New Orleans, Louisiana, and now we're in Portland based for the time being. So we're happy to be here with you. Yeah, and I'm Riley Delacroix. And in addition to what Cameron said, um, we kind of form a really unique partnership in the sense that we're partners in real life as well as partners in work. And we offer like double sessions. We work separately as well as together. One of us is AFAB, which means assigned female at birth. And one of us is uh, AMAB, assigned male at birth, transgender, transfemme person. And so we have kind of a unique offering compared to a lot of sex work that's out there right now. And before this interview, Riley was kind of talking with Emily and I about uh, there's so many aspects that go into sex work as like queerness and, oh, you had a good word that you used and you also said it, I can't remember, but I want to touch on all of those things. I know, Emily, you wanted to ask the first question and then from there, we'll just kind of go on, but go, yeah, take it away. This is one of our most unique interviews yet, and we have a lot to cover, so let's just dive right in. Could you tell us what kind of sex work y'all do and what drew y'all into it? Yeah, we we originally started out, this is when we lived in very, very rural northern New Mexico. Um, We weren't surrounded by a lot of queer community. We also weren't surrounded by a lot of, we had moved from bigger cities out to the rurals to try to like regain our life and to try to be more in touch with nature. And We also found that with rural living, we didn't also have a ton of economic economic opportunities. And um, we're both very educated, actually, which was very surprising to us. And so we thought about what are the things that we could do that dovetail both our personal life, which from then was a very kinky experience, very queer experience. how could we capitalize on that? Yeah. So we found ourselves, as Cameron was saying, like chronically underemployed, despite having advanced degrees, like extensive experience in our relative industries. And we're just like, what can we do that we already kind of know something about or something that we enjoy, something that's interesting, something that maybe the word that you were trying to think of, Shelby, that I said before was sacred. 
and something that was heart work and could be interesting to us where we could, you know, support ourselves well without having to grind ourselves into the ground because our prior jobs, <clears throat> even just a 40 hour a week job is is more than actually what was intended post-war in the United States. We originally started our practice together as pro-doms. We exclusively did BDSM stuff and we exclusively did just kink and fantasy play, et cetera. We did that in New Mexico originally, which we had for that time, we had to travel for quite a few miles. I can't even name it to you, but it was hours of driving sometimes depending on where our clients were. And it was it was fascinating. We met amazing people. We met people who were traveling. We met people who were local, who were just like, oh, no one's been here who's offered these services before. And we were super into it. And, you know, not to say that we still aren't, but that was where we started out, was exclusively doing BDSM services and pro-dom services. Yeah, I would add to that, that, you know, we were getting into sex work, even though it was very intentional and methodical, it's still a little scary. You know, there's a lot of risk involved, both personal, legal, etc. And so starting off with professional dominatrix work made sense because we already had experience with the practices, but also there's an inbuilt power dynamic in those in those scenes or in those sessions. And so that I think felt safe for both of us for different reasons. So we did that, as Cameron was saying, it was, not, it was not actually that easy to do that in New Mexico because of where we lived. And we ended up moving to New Orleans for a lot of synchronistic reasons. And we did work there as well. And then after a while, we were just kind of like, this is really cool and creative. But it's also a lot of fucking work. One of our friends who is a theater artist and who has like an MFA in theater arts said, wow, wait, you guys are pro-doms. And you do the script writing, the acting, the editing, and all of the work that it comes to mean like a play, to mean a fantasy in most of our clients' experience. And so we were like, yeah, yeah. yes, this in is what hour, we do in one in hour. One hour and we sometimes we, don't know what they're looking for. They'll walk in and have like a very like simple idea. And then it's improv on top of that. <laughs> yeah. And so it's, a, it, it's an incredibly nuanced and emotionally sensitive job because you have to be able to read people more from less from what they're saying and more from what they're exuding in their body and their behavior and their body language. And you have to be able to improv on the spot. And sometimes it goes well and sometimes it doesn't land well. And there's a lot of uncertainty involved in the work, whether it's pro-doming work or escorting work, which is what we would move into later. Yeah, I would love to talk about that as far as when you're a dom, you're building this fantasy for your clients, and it kind of is a performance to some degree. Do you ever notice a difference between the performance version of you and like who you really are? And do you ever feel like you need to separate those? I mean, this is part of the reason why don't get me wrong, like we still absolutely love our pro-dom work and it's still a very like deep part of our heart and, and it's something that fulfills certain parts of humanity's needs and we would never give that up. But this is part of the reason why we began to transition out of just exclusively BDSM and pro-dom work into more like 
we then like remarketed ourselves to being sensual doms. And then we remarketed ourselves to being like GFE providers, uh, the escort providers. And, and that was because some people were frightened by going into that fantasy space right out the gates. And, and they really needed something that was just a little bit more soft and like you could show up for coffee with us at nine in the morning and go from there. Yeah, I think the word I would use is approachability. Because for some people, like if you look up BDSM or kink online or some shit, like, you know, you could see some hardcore stuff that you're not ready for. (laughs) And that might not be what they're looking for. Maybe they're looking for role play or for, you know, some light bondage or, you know, like whatever it is. I mean, to your question, do you have to be a different part of yourself? I think in all kink, like what's beautiful about it, whether you do it personally or professionally, is it allows you to be different parts of yourself that might not have a place in the rest of your life. But what is different when you're doing it professionally is that during that session, it's all about the client. It's for them. You know, you're providing a service for them for whatever reason that they need it. Whereas if you were, you know, doing kink with a play partner, you would have a negotiation, you reach consent, and it would be mutually like beneficial in like an equal way. Whereas doing it professionally, yeah, we can get stuff out of it. It can be very enjoyable and interesting and exciting at times. But the, the, the sole purpose of it is to meet the needs that are stated or unstated from the client that's in front of you. So there is a little bit of dissonance because you're there for service. And the same is true as at, of escort work. You know, we moved into escort work because we wanted to be ourselves more. You know, like we didn't always want to have to be playing a role. We wanted to just be able to be our authentic selves and meet people on a certain level without having to hold like a role that someone asked us to do for the purpose of a fantasy. And I I would also add on top of that, that none of the work we've ever done has not been something that we made up or was fake or that we had to drum ourselves up for. It was all a part of like our infinite consciousness. It was all a part of like something deep down inside of us. And and sometimes, yeah, that requires us to be a little bit more intentional or grounded or, you know, it's, it's much easier, for instance, if we have a GFE client who wants to meet us in the morning and we have coffee together and then things go from there. It's, it's totally different if someone has a specific fantasy role play that they want to play and we have to decide can we show up for this? And we've never been dishonest about whether we can or not. The times we can't, we say we can't. And so every time we've ever shown up for someone, it's been completely authentic. And it's come from somewhere in our spirit that we've had to excavate for ourselves. It's spiritual work for our own bodies and our own spirits and our own ideals. And we've never just shown up fake. Yeah, I would say what sex work is for us and what makes it sacred is what we're actually offering people for some like explicit period of time is we're offering them unconditional love and high regard. And that might include, you know, physicality, which is an expression of love. But you know, there's different ways to love other humans, even if you only know them for an hour or an hour and a half or something like that. But I would say 
each of us grounds ourselves in our own way. And we ask ourselves like, what role am I to play for this person and for their healing? And that's what I'm here to do. Yeah. And we also discussed earlier a little bit about um, how sex work can be very healing, especially if you have something traumatic in your past. And Emily, I don't know if you want to chime in here because she was thinking of going to see a pro dom for her trauma. Um, But I would love to talk about that a little bit and um, your perspective on that. Sure. What I think is really special about sex work compared to like, let's say meeting someone and being in relationship and healing trauma through relationship is that in sex work, the recipient within means actually has total control over what happens. And so if you have sexual trauma or any other kind of trauma, what trauma does is it robs you of autonomy and agency and dignity. And if by creating a situation that you have full control over with with full consent, with somebody who is skilled and caring, you can heal that trauma by having a transformative experience. You can even mimic the original trauma and then have an alternative outcome. So those are some ways that off the top of my head that it's incredibly healing for trauma. Yeah, and I would add to that to say sometimes people come to us, I would say, in more of a shadowed way. They they come seeking one thing, and then by the end of it, it's completely different. To give an example, I had a client who is very dear to me and spent lots of time with me and never once said to me anything about their trauma. But there were times in the session towards the end of it where they were calling me mommy, where they were crying, where they were asking me to do things that I had to check in with them about and said, are you sure? Are you sure? And they said, yes. And then to this day, I mean, to this day, this person still talks to me. This person still says, I hope that because we live in very different cities, like across the US, and we only see each other a bit of time. But you can't always come in and say, like, this X, Y, and Z thing happened to me, and I want to heal it in this way. Sometimes you just come in and you want a safe space, and you don't know what's going to come out of that space. And that's the thing that especially kink offers for you. But I think also I've seen it happen in GFE experiences where people aren't, they, they proclaim that they are like very vanilla people, that they are not into kinky stuff. They don't want to be tied up, et cetera, but they can get into a space where they're like, wow, someone's paying attention to me. Someone's letting me say what I want and they're acting upon it. Someone's telling me no when they don't want it. And that's a really healing experience because most people through their, their sexual education, through their sexual experiences in life, they don't know how to behave. They don't know how to act in certain spaces and how to actually have like a really healing sexual experience with another person. And so it can come on both sides of like kinky or vanilla. I also want to say something that I think is a lot less known about sex work as trauma prevention. So I had a client that had come in from out of town. I had never met him before. Uh, I drove to his hotel and he wanted 
if for listeners who don't know, GFE means girlfriend experience. And so basically it means like, it also means emotional intimacy. It might mean kissing. It might mean just like, just trying to be normal people within a sex work experience. So that's very different than doing like a pro dom session. It's like, we just want to meet as humans, get to know each other, have a good time in a way that feels good to me and then go, go from there. But anyways, I had a, a client who was a man from Texas in his 50s and who had seen sex workers before. And I showed up at his hotel and, you know, he told me kind of what he wanted in a physical way. It was very run of the mill, nothing special, nothing unique, really. And so we were in the middle of the session and all of a sudden, without asking me, without consenting me, he dropped into this fantasy role play of his own that involved me being a little girl. And so, which in kink is, you know, in kink, it's called age play. And like that can, with good consent and with good boundaries and good communication, it can be very fascinating, really fun and very healing. Uh, This was not that experience. And so I was just kind of, I had to check in with myself in the middle of the session. I was like, am I down for this? Like, is this okay for me or not? I mean, I'm kind of uncomfortable right now. I didn't expect this to happen, but I, I, you know, I felt safe. It was okay. I, I did like eight years of martial arts in my twenties. So it's like, it's, I wasn't going to get too crazy, but anyways, I was just following his fantasy and I was like, Oh, well then, you know, what am I wearing and what's happening? And, and it, it grew into this fantasy of his making where I was a little, the little girl that lived down the street from him in this cul-de-sac and in my mind, I'm like, oh, my God, is there a little girl that lives in this guy's cul-de-sac? That's like, you know, is that actually happening? Or is this the way that this person deals with those ideas or those urges in a, in a way that's safe, you know, and in a way that's not going to harm a child? And so I, I don't know the answer to that question. And it left me like really kind of spun out for a little bit. But I chose to believe and I hoped that that work and that fantasy being able to manifest itself would mean that it wouldn't actually manifest itself in real life. So that's just another way that I think sex work relates to trauma in ways that we don't really think about. First of all, y'all bounce ideas off of each other beautifully. I feel privileged just being able to listen to y'all and just, it's like, this is super cheesy. It's like, you're just, a single unit very unified (laughs) so and then the thing that I actually want to ask well I guess we've already started getting into the sacredness of sex work you two clearly have a very special and unique calling did you always know about the healing potential of sex work or is it something you realized along the way I think it was interesting I went to an astrologer I don't know I was working at the time, I was working a very vanilla job. I had a master's degree. I had everything going for me, et cetera. Like I had a typical American life. And I remember part of the astrology reading saying, you know, we went through different planets, et cetera. And then all of a sudden, the astrologer just like parked on this one thing. And she said, holy shit, you are a sexual healer. 
And at the time I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Because I was just living this normal, like vanilla life. And I had no idea what she was talking about. Though I was extremely intrigued at the same time, but I didn't let myself believe that. And so have I thought since I was like a young kid that I was going to be a sex worker when I grew up? No. But there has been little crumb trails all along the way. There has been certain things that have like dropped on my plate, whether they be financial hardship, whether they be my astrologer saying like, you are a sexual healer. She like shouted that to me three times and said, what are you doing? Like, how can you architect your life differently? Because you are a sexual healer. And it wasn't until a little bit after that, that I could actually process it because I didn't, it didn't make sense to me. And yeah, I can't tell you when I was a little kid, I would have grown up to be a sex worker. I can't like, I can't even tell my family right now that I'm a sex worker, to be honest. And, you know, in 10 years when our memoir comes out, they're all going to be flabbergasted. (laughs) But, uh, you know, like I am not, you know, I'm not an ounce less proud of the work that I do because I think it's extremely important. And I think it is my calling and it is what I want to do. And if someone said to me tomorrow, you know what, you should go work at Starbucks instead of being a sex worker. You should go get another job instead of being a sex worker, whatever it is, I would grieve and I would cry because I know how deeply and how transformative this work is. And I am fucking pissed that it's illegal and that I still to this day have undercover cops trying to text me and put me in jail. And it's a thing. Yeah. For me, it was a little bit different. I was initially more reluctant than Cameron was. So I'm a survivor of early childhood sexual trauma. And so the idea of it at first was a little daunting. It ended up actually playing a huge role in me overcoming that trauma, first through pro-dom work and then escorting work and becoming more equitably comfortable with male-bodied people, which before... Uh, as a queer person, I had dated some men, but not many. And I, for a long time, I didn't really know like what had happened to me. I had to reclaim those memories. Cameron went to something called, went and studied something called somatic sex education, which is a form of somatics therapy related to sexuality, but not exclusively, but using body-based practices to heal trauma. And when they were going to that school, we had just moved in together. They knew my history. And so we practiced, like they practiced on me. We used these, these practices and it changed my life. Like it completely changed my life and like helped me reclaim memories and move through them and find ways to work with how trauma was stored in my body. And so we found ourselves in a situation, like I said, where we were kind of like, what are we going to do so that capitalism doesn't grind us into the ground? And we're doing something that's more meaningful and more interesting. And that's how I started getting into it. I was like, yeah, I'll try this out. Like, it was more of like, I'm not sure, but let me try it out. And at first I wasn't particularly confident. Like, it was a little scary. I remember looking at myself in the mirror at my first out call, like, client appointment, which was like 
was at the Bourbon Orleans Hotel in New Orleans, which was kind of wild. And I was just kind of looking at myself and I was like, holy fuck, what am I doing? Like, am I going to be, I can do this in my life, but like, can I do this here? Like with someone that I don't know. And um, you just develop more confidence over time. Like you realize not only your own capacity and power and presence, but it's also reflected back to you and what in the changes that you see both in scene and then when you follow up with clients, you know, we've had clients, we've had beautiful, beautiful client appointments with people who will tell us very explicitly about how healing the work was. One that comes to mind off the top of my head was a man, he was probably in his mid seventies. His partner had died and they later in their life together had like discovered their kink. And that was a big part of their life and something that they loved doing. And, and she died and he didn't, he didn't have a partner to do that with anymore. And he came to us and was like, just wanted to be a canvas for hours. Like just wanted to experience a wide variety of things. And like, at the end of this, it was grueling. It was a three-hour session. We did some intense shit mm-hmm. to this guy. We were impressed. That guy was a badass. He was fucking He was incredible. a badass. Yeah, he was a true masochist. Incredible. Incredible power as a bottom. And, and we were just like so grateful that we could help somebody in their grief experience something that is both a need of theirs, but also something that they had shared with someone that they loved. He also shared with us like right after that, you know, in all of our, especially in our love, our kink sessions, because they tend to be so intense, we we do aftercare. So for people who aren't familiar with kink, we usually reserve a certain period of time after a session to bring you back. We feed you chocolate. We feed you fruit. We give you water. We feed you protein if that's what you need, like whatever. And we just sit as people and we escape ourselves from whatever kink experience you have. And, and, and another thing that you shared with us is, you know, my best friend that I've known since I was a little kid just died and he started crying in his aftercare session. And that was on top of all the work that he did. And it was, it was beautiful. And, you know, to this day, I wish I wish we were still, he lives in a a different state than us and it's hard to travel, especially now during COVID times. But honestly, if money were no issue and COVID was no issue, I would travel to him in a minute because he got it and he was, he showed up for it. And it was one of the more beautiful sessions we've ever had. And then on top of that, he wrote us this like, page long email after yeah yeah, a review after we saw him and we're just like wow I've never had this experience since all of everything that I've been through and I really really appreciate you all and it was it was so healing for us like sometimes we go home from sessions and we say wow that was amazing you know we don't just drop it like we know the deep work that we do and we know and we revere the people who can show up and help us to do the work that we can do because it's what's healing all humanity. 
the work that you guys do sounds very intimate. Well, I mean, it is very intimate, but do you feel like working together gives your relationship a certain level of intimacy that maybe other couples don't experience? I also want to know what it's like to work as a sex worker with your partner. Sure. I mean, certainly more intimacy. So we had to sit with it before, especially before we moved into escorting. Like we had had a polyamorous relationship already, but we we did. We sat and we talked about it. Like, how do we feel about this? Like, what does this look like? What are our needs around it? What are our boundaries? You know, how do we how do we keep each other safe? Like, how do we process our feelings that come up around it? And we did both a lot of kind of preliminary emotional labor around that. And as the work continued, especially when it really upticked and we were doing it, so that's what we were doing solely professionally. Um, we had to still do like emotional labor around our own shadows that would show up. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, there's plenty of sex workers out there who are partnered, but they're often not partnered with people who are sex workers. It's a very different situation. And I actually, frankly, like find it incredible and don't quite understand the people who are not sex workers who are partnered with sex workers because they don't know what it's like, but yet they can like hold space for their partner. That, that to me is pretty impressive and incredible. For me, like knowing what the work is like, what it's like for me. And then when, after, after a session, we would always come back to each other and just debrief and be like, hey, how'd it go? What happened? How are you doing? Do you need anything? You know, that sort of thing. And so we pretty much just had a very, very open communication about what had happened for the client, what actually like activities had happened. Some of them were like really fun. They're like, hey, I fucking did this. This is crazy. I just did this uh, ad hoc out of nowhere. If, if the other person needed some emotional support, you know, what have you. So I do think that there's greater intimacy and capacity to hold each other's experience. It's a lot easier being the partner that stays home when your partner is a sex worker, when you're a sex worker too, I would say. Yeah, we, it's interesting because everyone, regardless of whether you're a client or whether you're a sex worker, we all have our own lives. And so there's been times in Riley and my relationship where I've been the predominant sex worker or they've been the predominant sex worker. And sometimes during those times, it's been hard for us because it reflects on what am I, am I not good enough? Why are people not hiring me? Why do people not see my value? Why are so many people seeing you and not seeing me, et cetera. And that's gone both ways for us at different times. And so it's been it's been hard, but it's like almost at the time when you think I can't handle this anymore, then someone lovely says, can you both show up for an appointment? And then we get to show up together and it's amazing. We're because, fucking badass together. <laughs> because when we're together, people are like, or or there's even been times when people have like, you know, wanted to work with one of us, but then like wanted to work with the other of us or like wanted to work with one of us for an hour and then the other one for the other hour. And then we all just sit down on the couch after 
the session and, and our client is just like, holy shit, what, how do you guys do this? Like, you guys are both so cool and you're so amazing. And I can't even pick between you because like, there's just like such different things that like you both bring and that you both are so great at, but can I just have you both? And then, you know, yes, they hire us both. Yes, you can. <laughs> yeah. I mean, think about it. I mean, like we get to fuck our partner for money, you know, like that's pretty cool in and of itself. But, um, I mean, we really have always had sort of a, a power couple sort of thing. Like when we first met, we met at a large community event that went on for a month or for a week. And after hanging out for like two or three days, you know, we'd be sitting at the table and people were like, hey, how long have you guys been together? You know, and they would like, we'd ask them, be like, well, how, how long do you think? And people would be like, oh, five years or 10 years or something like that. And we're like, yeah, we've we known each other for three days. <laughs> but you know, but in that way that you've known someone for lifetimes, you know, like you finally recognized each other. And so this is just, I think, been a, a professional and spiritual expression of that, of that power that can come from two things, two different people that are synergistic that can come together. And as has been said, like, I really personally spiritually believe that like the experiences we have have explicit purposes for us to work through things. Life gives us opportunities to work through things and to heal and to become our most powerful and authentic selves. And sitting at home and being resentful or feeling self-pity because you don't have many clients right now and your partner is leaving a lot and stuff like that, like those are important emotions to work with. In the same way of being on the other side of like being sensitive as the one who's getting to go away and have interesting experiences that are, that are intimate and, you know, being sensitive to whatever pain or, or feelings that the other person might be having. And we had to develop, it was a little choppy at first, you know, quite honestly, because we hadn't really developed, we developed a system, you know, about like feeling good about it and safe about it and trying to harness the individual strengths that each of us have. Like uh, Cameron is, is much more of the like channels inspiration and has incredible ideas that are very innovative and interesting and they're very aesthetically oriented and things like that. I am very good at like making things happen and manifesting things and being like, okay, I hear your idea. This is how we could actually turn that into reality. That's we could turn that into like social media advertising or here, let me build this website or and like even just being on this podcast was an idea of like, how can we start telling these stories? They're really important. And we want people to know about us and we want people to know about our work and we want people to know about why the work is important and why it should be decriminalized and why it should be on offer because everyone in our society has sexual pain and sexual trauma, even cisgendered men, you know, because we live in a colonized society that is, it's, it's violent. It's violent against sexual and sensual freedom and personal autonomy. I definitely want to get into that in the interview at some point. You beautifully answered the beauties and challenges of being partners, both in love and in work. 
And I have to know, how did you two meet? <laughs> we met actually at, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not, I, I don't have permission, quote, nor do either of us have permission to name the retreat that we were at when we first met. But yeah, we were at a retreat. We both actually showed up there as individuals, like kind of fallen from grace. We were trying to find ourselves. We both just went there to try to like, just get a greater handle on ourselves. We had been out of bad breakups and et cetera, et cetera. And we joke now because of the, some of the things that we like went through during like our meeting of that retreat. Like here's a secret. Riley judged me because I was wearing sandals and she thought it was too cold for me to be wearing sandals. I mean, keep in mind, I've been living in Phoenix, Arizona, helping co-parent two kids for a year. <laughs> and so being in the Redwoods, in the morning where it would be 60 degrees and I'd be like, what's this bitch doing? Like wearing fucking sandals. Like it's cold as shit. Like what are they doing? But there was, you know, aside from that, there was sort of this just like inexpressible attraction, not in the way that we think of like, Oh my God, they're so fucking hot. Like, I mean, I think that anyway, but like it was more of like in orbiting, we found ourselves over the next several days orbiting each other and like, showing up at the same place awkwardly and just sitting down and talking or what have you, where it's like we, neither of us was looking for anything. Yeah. The first year of our relationship was actually like very long distance. We lived a thousand miles apart after that first retreat. When we met each other, we were like, cause we both never came any, like, we never came to that retreat saying, I hope that I can find the next love of my life. We just came there to like heal ourselves. And when we left there, we knew of each other and we were like, fuck, why do you live a thousand miles away from me? And we both like drove away crying. And then we tried to meet each other on random occasions as much as we could, given our own like personal lives in different cities, a thousand miles apart to just maintain connection and then eventually it made sense for us to like move closer to one another and our life, you know, gave an offering of that to be able to do that. I mean, that's putting it mildly. Both of our lives were burning down around <laughs> us for a lot of reasons that we couldn't control. And so we couldn't stay in the same places anymore. Our lives were not going to be the same uh, for a lot of different reasons. And that's when we were like, why are we not? Like, why are we not near each other? Why are we not living together? Why are we not doing this thing? Because by that point, we were flying and seeing each other like every three or four weeks. And we were talking every day in that NRE sort of way that you do. And so Cameron was great. They're like, what the fuck are you still doing there? Like, why don't you just like come meet me in New Mexico and we can live here? <laughs> And I was like, yeah, you're right. Like, why the fuck? Yeah. Why am I not doing that? Yeah, this was all this was all like pre-co-sex working stuff. Like, it was just like, yeah, why are you over there anymore? And uh, it all it all has worked out since then. It's all worked out beautifully. 
And I don't know why we spent so much time not doing that, but. Yeah, it was, a, it was a recognition. It was like, we saw each other. Once we like got to know each other and looked at each other, it was kind of like, oh, there you are. Like, where the fuck have you been? Like the last 30 My whole life, man, my whole life. Where have you been my whole like, life? <laughs> you know, and it was just kind of like, what the fuck, dude? Like, I've been like struggling thinking I was like the only one this whole goddamn time. It took you fucking long enough. And since then, you know, in addition to sex work, we've gone through like, we've gone through more in our time together than most people have gone through in like 40 years of marriage. And, uh, and it shows we act like, you know, curmudgeonly old ladies at each other and shit like that. <laughs> but, um, you know, because we live together, we work together, collaborate in all of these other ways. Like we've spent, we've spent the amount of, we spent like such more in-person time together, like in the same space and interacting than most couples do for years, just because we've been together day in and day out for years in different places. Ask us one pet peeve that we each have for each other. <laughs> okay. Oh, I'm curious. <laughs> yeah, we'll bite. <laughs> right, you go for the bag. Okay. My my pet peeve is that Riley tries to save food, like scraps of food that no one would eat, like literally because it's still on the table and it's like it. crumbs. No, shh. <laughs> they save scraps of food in the fridge, but they don't even like cover it. So it could actually be eaten the next day. It's just like dry and on a plate. So the next day you open the fridge and it's all crusty and no one's going to eat it anyways, but they felt good about themselves. Check. So I have a <laughs> torn moon and a torn rising. So I value <laughs> saving things. <laughs> I also grew up like with a lot of neglect and like had to like raise myself and like you develop a certain scarcity mentality around that. So in my defense. <laughs> anyways, what's your peeve? One of my pet peeves. <laughs> is you leave your dirty clothes and all your cups and mugs and shit on the floor next to our bed and never pick them up. That's because you pick them up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, we're just So we're we're human if you people. I mean, we're amazing we're... people, but we're just normal ass fucking people. I recently started living with my partner after being apart for about a year and yeah, these all resonate with me. I except I'm the one that leaves cups and stuff everywhere. So the rest of us and change. I'm trying. I just I just put it down and forget. Like there's so many things to think about. How can I possibly be reminded of, you know, the six the six glasses on my nightstand? So all is forgiven, child, but change, please. So as sex workers and as queer people, you are definitely at a higher risk for violence and danger. And not to like <laughs> quickly change the mood to like, now we're going to talk about violence, but that's a reality. And Cameron, you brought this up earlier is not even law enforcement is on your side. In fact, law enforcement is kind of actively out to get you. So do you... I, I want to know what your very first session felt like. Were you nervous? Did you feel like you might be in danger? And I also would like to know, do you feel like you both have different experiences in sex work as 
Riley, you're trans femme, AMAB, and Cameron, you're AFAB. Sorry, I'm, I'm trying to make sure I'm getting all my terminology right. Yeah, those are two and really big questions. Maybe just go one at a time and then... For me, like, my first, my very, very first session was at a place that I, like, rented a place so that I could meet someone... Um, I'd also done, and, and this still goes through like till now, yesterday, whatever. Tonight. We do a ton of screening for people to make sure that they're not law enforcement, to make sure that they are not harmful to other sex workers, even if they're not law enforcement, to make sure that they're actually going to show up when they show up. It's It's a really hard thing on the sex worker side of things versus the client side of things. Like we, we each have our own risks there, right? Law enforcement could be posing as a sex worker and law enforcement could be posing as someone who's soliciting. And when I first, the first session that I had, I screened the hell out of this person and I I could find them on multiple mediums. I knew exactly who they were actually, before I met them. I arranged the space so that I knew that they were coming into my space. And it actually wasn't, it wasn't scary to me once I got into the space. Like I I was just there with a person because I know I'd done my work ahead of time. And for a lot of people who are getting into the industry, like if there's other industry workers right now, like listening to this podcast who are Like, how do I get into the industry? How do I make sure I stay stay safe? Like, do your research ahead of time. Figure out how to screen people. And don't give up on your, like, screening. Don't slide yourself short. Because there's a lot of ways that you can get in trouble if you don't hold your boundaries. And this isn't in just general life, but it's also especially important in sex work. And so that's why I didn't feel unsafe in my first encounter as a sex worker. And it was great. And everything happened as it should. It was perfect. I went through the session. It was a BDSM session because at that time we were doing DOM work. And it was fine. And nothing happened. I knew exactly who this person was. I knew exactly who they were leaving. I never outed them. I never, you know, like... I never created a situation where between sex worker and client that there was any vulnerability. Like we both had skin in the game. We both had a situation where we were able to just be who we were at the time and be done with it. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. As Cameron mentioned, like we did a ton of research before we actually started doing sex work. And so we, we communed with other sex workers, mostly over the internet and asked for best practices. What did people do? Because sex workers usually really show up hard for each other. It's a very like tight knit community or people are willing to help each other. And so we learned a lot of tips about how to verify people's identities to make sure they weren't law enforcement, to make sure they didn't have a record of some kind. We would, if they had seen providers before, we would check in with those providers and see like, what's this person like? What did, what was your experience with them? And we've never compromised that. 
that has been like a very clear boundary for ourselves is that we don't compromise that even in times of like financial hardship or something like if a person, if a client doesn't want to screen, we don't see them period. And, uh, and that, and I want to speak to potential clients and people who would be patrons of sex workers is it is vulnerable to give your personal information on the internet or over the phone to someone that you don't know. But you also have to understand that as sex workers, we are walking into a place that maybe we haven't set up. We're walking into it in a completely foreign place with someone we've never met who could be law enforcement, who, who could be violent, all of these things. And so us having information on them that we keep confidential and secure and it's discreet and it's destroyed after we've booked the session and everything like that. But it's very, there's a lot of people who don't want to screen because, you know, they feel like they shouldn't have to, or it's scary for them, or they have some idea that like their prestige in the community is so important that they couldn't risk it. (laughs) And I'm like, motherfucker, this is our lives. Like, who the fuck what people think about whether you see a sex worker or not? And also to interpret, like, I can't tell you speaking specifically to clients right now. I can't tell you how many CEOs, how many lawyers, mm-hmm. how many people that are of your echelon that I have seen, I have taken care of, and I have never outed. I know you're married. I see your Facebook. I see your pictures with your wife and I will never tell her. And it is okay. You can have what you want and we will not harm you. Yeah. We're not in the business of harming. We're in the business of healing. I had a Catholic deacon reach out to me in New Orleans once. That was pretty fascinating. But yeah, it's like, It's also like, if you look at it from a business perspective, it's like, why would we out our clients? Like, that's fucking dumb. That's bad business. Not to mention like harming and unethical. And so, yeah, so we, we have a very rigorous uh, process. And I, when I'm corresponding with clients, I say that this is actually for our mutual safety because you don't actually want to see a sex worker who doesn't do that because they could see whoever, you know, and then that person knows they're a sex worker and like, you know, it, it just kind of like, it's like a, it's like a domino effect if you don't put some, some barriers in there. And so it's for mutual safety and, um, and necessary. It's necessary. Your other question was about uh, our differences of experience based in, on our inner embodiment. So for me as a trans bodied person, so I'm a trans feminine person who's been on hormones for many years, has had facial feminization surgery, but has not had bottom surgery. And so I kind of ride the line between masculine and feminine and can offer a wide variety of things based on my embodiment. That has been very interesting, you know, in in a lot of different ways. And this is especially true in New Orleans. So New Orleans you know, as a city is known as being progressive and interesting and kind of like salacious, but Louisiana is not. And so what I found is that many of my clients would seek me out to uh, what I would call explore their queerness. 
they wouldn't necessarily call that. They'd just be like, I don't know. I'm just into it. Or I just, I'm scared. I was just curious. Or I saw this in a porn or, you know, something like that. Cause they weren't just going to like go to a bar and meet a trans person and like start dating. Like that just wasn't going to be possible in the social environment in the South. And so this was really their way. This was their way of exploring their sexual authenticity and sometimes even gender authenticity. There are people who would come who would want to cross dress who I was basically like, I didn't tell them this. I was like, I was like, sweetie, you're trans. It's okay. Like you want to come and be around a trans body and like be trans yourself for an hour. Like that's beautiful. Come and do that. Um, And so I got to support people through a lot of that as well as a lot of religious trauma. It's a very Catholic area. And so people would come in with a lot of shame about their desires, especially if they were not cis heteronormative desires. And they often felt like they, they could not be open about that with their wives, their families, their communities, their churches, et cetera, because they, they would most likely be ostracized. So that was very beautiful. And that's something that felt very sacred. I've also had the flip side of that where uh, you know, someone's paying to fetishize me for an hour, which is a really weird experience. Um, I've had people walk into the room and be so nervous or freaked out that they left after five minutes. I've had people slam the door in my face when I've shown up because of their own fear and their own shame, you know? And so you really, we even had a client, we did a duo session with a client who it was very weird. He like reached out to me first and then said he wanted to do a duos. And then he showed up and he literally was so uncomfortable with me that he couldn't look at me. And I had never, I'd never had an experience of that level of invisibility and objectification before where like somebody was so disturbed by the fact that I existed, that they could not look at me. It was so weird. And it, and I had this experience of like having multiple clients in a row. It was like over a week, like six different clients, like freaked out. And it was just such so bizarre. And I was like, what is, what is this trying to teach me? You know, it was, it was teaching me self-worth and self-esteem because most trans people struggle with like, am I, am I this enough? Am I trans enough? Am I femme enough? Whatever. And it was kind of like, I had to really go through that pain by being like rejected, even though I often was still paid, which was cool. I didn't have to actually do any work. I still got paid, but like going through that again and again and again and again, it created this crucible of like, you have to both value yourself and you also have to take great notice of the other clients who fucking love you, who think you're fucking hot and they come back to see you and you change their lives. And it's like, it was, it was a practice of reorienting my perspective like around my transness and how I felt about my own body. How about you? Yeah. Or I guess, I guess a good question to kind of go off on for Riley's. Yeah. You were partners through this entire experience. How was it for you seeing, would you consider it hatred, uncomfortable feelings towards Riley? What was that like for you, especially, you know, seeing the person you love be treated what I would say rather unfairly. Yeah, it, it, it's it's been an interesting journey for sure because there were times that in that particular case that really brought up 
just previously, you know, being in the room where a person hired us as duos and then freaked out about the transness. And then I had to sub in as this sole provider because the other person, like the client couldn't even look at Riley. Like, and I was like objectified as like the only thing that could provide them any service, et cetera. It was really hard because I, I didn't want to be like, yeah, sh-. like I, I wanted to earn our money, <laughs> but at the same time, I didn't want to like, be like, that's my fucking partner over there. What the fuck is wrong with you? You hired us both. Like you, what is wrong with you? You know, and it was, it was really, really hard to have to ride that line. Um, and so I played the game and, and basically what I did was during the session, like side eye Riley and just be like, we're doing this together. Like I'm taking the hit right now you're taking the hit in a different way and we're going to get through this in the end and this isn't it like this isn't this isn't what we expect and then it was over and we got to debrief after that without it's not common that that happens to be honest um but it was it was it was very stark for sure i'm i'm sorry either of y'all had to go through that even if it's only happened once. Well, this happens to trans people all the time. You know, it was just in a a compressed space is all it was. Trans people are othered, you know, in our society all the time. So I don't actually think that that my experience was particularly unique. It was quite painful at the time because it was like really, it had come after a string of experiences and it was just very potent and concentrated and I couldn't just leave, you know what I mean? Whereas like if something had happened in the street, you can just like leave. But like I had to stay there because it was like, it was an appointment, it was work. And so I had to like kind of sit with the feelings while also knowing that my partner was kind of doing two jobs at the same time and and what have you. So it was, uh, it, it built, it was really spiritually useful, but like most spiritually useful things, it was not a comfortable process going through it. I just wanted to ask Cameron, like piggyback off of what I was talking about, like earlier and the question of just like, what do you think is unique that people might not know on the, on the surface about like, what's unique about being a gender queer, AFAB queer person doing sex work, but like kind of having to present yourself as cis high femme sort of stuff. Yeah. It's, it's been challenging because I don't, in my everyday world, like I don't, I don't categorize myself as like hot woman on the internet, like most other sex workers do. And, and that's to no shame to them. Like whoever they are, like I'm, I'm glad for who they are and I'm glad for the clients that they get because of who they are. And at the same time, I've also struggled really hard knowing that I don't get as many clients who say like, I see you're just like an androgynous femme person who is really like, you know, who's really into all these things, et cetera. And yeah, it, it's been hard for me because I either choose, I, I either chose 
to be my authentic self, which more and more these days I'm like getting closer to, or I choose to be like pretty inauthentic in order to like get clients. And even then like clients want people like in, in the category that I'm in, if you will, as like an AFAB person, as a cis femme person, they want people with fake tits and long hair who look like supermodels who want all these things. And then I can't, I can't compete with those people because I'm both not willing to, and I'm also not capable of doing that. But I am a badass sex worker and I can heal the shit out of people and they aren't really willing to take that delve. Yeah. What usually happens is that like once somebody finally reaches out to Cameron and then gets in a room with them, like their life changes and they're like, holy fuck. (laughs) Like that's like a really consistent experience. And so it's been a really like ongoing frustration and pain and grief, especially for Cameron, but for both of us of how can we get you seen more? Like how can people see this more? Cause that's, that's who you are and that's what you offer and that's your power and that's your gift and that's your calling. And like you call to do, you're called to do this work and you should be doing it more. And so we've had to strategize a lot around advertising and writing and pictures and other other ways of communicating who Cameron is authentically to an audience that is not conditioned to look for that. This interview has been absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for reaching out to us. I feel like Emily and I have kind of been messaging back and forth because we always were like, who's going to ask the next question? Um, And we were both like, we have so much more we want to ask. Like we could do this interview forever, but do a part two. We, yeah. we can always do a part two. And honestly, if you guys really do write that memoir, send us an email. I will buy that. I want to read that memoir. Cameron's the <laughs> inspiration of the ideas and I make it happen. So I've been slowly writing it with their help and what have you. It's, you know, it's a story that's still unfolding and it's both autobiographical memoir, which is fascinating in and of itself, but it's also stories about sex work and about clients anonymously of course about like the types of healing that people need in our society and the potential that sex work has shown for that and so we kind of have to balance we're balancing you know the the stories and it's illegal right now and it's and it's bullshit and um yeah it'd be awesome if we could just come out with it right now while we're still working but it honestly doesn't feel like at this moment, we can come out with it like full blazing with still doing the work and not be corrupted into legality. And that's the fucking bullshit of it. Because we do healing work every fucking day. Every day. And we're going to have to wait till retire to publish that memoir and it's bullshit. We'll let you know. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's been, it's been a real pleasure and we really appreciate like your passion and your appreciation and seeing us and we'd be delighted to talk to you again. We still have a lot to say. (laughs) If our listeners are interested in finding you, is that something you're comfortable sharing like your website or your socials? 
Okay, yeah. Our our work website is uh, girlfriends plural experience pdx.com. Um, we also yeah. both have that to- links out to our that links out to our kink website, which is patinafetish.com. Mm-hmm. That was our first website, and we both have uh, Twitter and Instagrams. Uh, my Twitter handle is Riley De La Croix one. R-I-L-E-Y-D-E-L-A-C-R-O-I-X and the number one. Yeah. And mine is CamBPDX, C-A-M-B-P-D-X.com or dot whatever Twitter handle it is. No, that's your Instagram handle. Your your Twitter handle is Cameron BPDX. Cameron BPDX. My yeah. whole, whole name spelled out. C-A-M-R-E. O N B P D X. Yeah. And my Instagram handle is just Riley De La Croix. And um, we try to, we have busy lives. We try to be on there as much as possible. We share content, we share thoughts. We uh, it's, it's a great way to get to know our personalities outside of things like podcasts and stuff like that. Yeah, well, if you guys are still listening, please give them a follow, check out their website. And yeah, thank you again so much for being vulnerable with us and and sharing your stories with us. And we will hear from you guys next Friday. Candy Girl Podcast. Fuck me, Daddy. (laughs) Ha <laughs> ha